Welcome to the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast, where educators come together to discuss their journey on the road to financial independence. Now, please join our co-host, Dave and Brandon, as they prepare to help other educators get fit with their finances. Welcome, and thanks for joining us on episode number 61 of the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast. If you think your story can help other educators and you'd be willing to come on the show, please shoot me an email at getfiteducator at gmail.com. And I do want to take just a quick minute to plug an upcoming FIT event that we have. If you're interested in learning more about student loan forgiveness and you're a teacher, please mark your calendar for Tuesday, May 5th at 8 p.m. Again, that is Tuesday, May 5th at 8 p.m. And check out the Financially Independent Teachers uh, Facebook page to sign up. It's not up there yet, but it will be up soon for the live webinar, which is going to be hosted by Brandon and I. We're just there to kind of introduce ourselves. It's mainly about a friend of the show and what I would call a student loan forgiveness guru, David Gorley. Uh, He's going to be on the show. He is a uh, recently retired Retired, I say, as in recently got out of education, math teacher. His wife is a a teacher as well. And he's going to be coming on the show as his student loan situation keeps changing and changing uh, with government laws and things like that. So if you want to stay up to date on the information on student loans and potentially save tens of thousands of dollars, please sign up for that Tuesday, May 5th event that is free, Coach. This is a big deal for us. Yeah, I love having David on the show. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to, be, uh, to as you did, uh, to be featured on his show back when he used to do uh, the podcast, The Budget Teacher. Yep. And um, he's just a fantastic guy, really smart, you know, just really, really a smart guy. And so I, I, I would definitely, if you, uh, if you owe money on a student loan, might be a good idea to, to listen. You never know what might could happen. So. Yeah, I really don't know much. That's an area that I haven't studied the way that he's studied. And he's actually gone through different coursework and he's certified to help people with that. But uh, in one of my financial coaching sessions, coach, I had a a private school teacher here in Eastern North Carolina. Uh, They had hired me to do a a one-on-one find your freedom meeting. And in that meeting, we ended up uh, discovering that potentially he, you know, he had some student loans. I said, why don't you go ahead and and go to this website and just check it out. And in that one meeting that we had, uh, a two-hour meeting, he found out that he was going to have $56,000 of student loans forgiven. So he paid me $125 for a two-hour Find Your Freedom meeting, and it ended up saving him $56,000. And I know another friend of the show, Aaron Krieger, who's uh, one of my buddies from college uh, up in Cleveland, Ohio, we featured his story. He came on the podcast. He actually ended up linking up with David earlier uh, last year, and I believe that saved his family five to ten thousand dollars just by having a thirty-minute conversation with David. So, with everything changing, you are not going to want to miss that live webinar. It's a live webinar; it's not a podcast. Again, Tuesday, May fifth at eight p.m. So, Coach, I know you're on spring break right now. Tell us where you're at and what you're up to. Oh man, I'm in a cabin in the woods right now. Actually, uh, I, I am. I am reading writing, hiking, grilling, and sleeping. That's about all I'm doing right now. So uh, you're, you're interrupting my big five right now with, uh, with this podcast, but I am happy to be here. I'm just joking. Really. You know, I love doing this, but, um, but I'm not on my normal computer. I'm on my phone. So I hope the 
sound is okay and everything goes all right. Yeah, you were doing really, really good. Then you started cutting out there. But uh, if we have sound issues, coach is in the middle of the woods, uh, just just doing some man stuff. So, coach, we appreciate you taking your time to join us. And I'd like to welcome our guest, Sean, to the show tonight. We've got Sean uh, coming on the show. He's got a really, really big event that's coming up for teachers, a free event, I believe. And I can't wait to hear his story in the event that teachers all over the country can sign up for here in the next month or so. So, Sean, thank you so much for calling in. Where are you calling in from tonight? Well, thank you so much for having me, uh, Dave and Brandon. It's nice to, nice to be here. I guess I should call Brandon coach because that's what he seems to be doing here. So, Make sure to remember that. And I'm calling in from Lubbock, Texas, calling out in the in middle of the uh, the Dust Bowl. Lubbock, Texas. I have never been to Texas before. Have you, Coach? I have. I went to Dallas, Texas one. Had the best bone-in ribeye uh, I've ever had in Dallas, Texas at a place called The Butcher Shop in downtown Dallas. But that's that's yeah. the only time. I was there for about four days. So I, I've only been to Dallas a couple of times, but I think I've even heard of that place. So – that's probably a good endorsement. If you want good meat, come to yeah, Texas. I, I, I dropped about a hundred dollars on one meal, but uh, however much it was, it was a lot, but uh, it was worth it. Kind of, kind of worth it. Yeah. Well, we are on a financial uh, podcast here. A hundred dollars for one person on a meal is rather expensive, but YOLO. That's not bad. That's yeah, not bad. Yeah, it's not, not terrible. Not terrible. Not terrible. So I've never been to Texas. I need to get there. But tell us what you're doing in Texas, Sean. Uh, what is life like for you? Are, are you a teacher? Uh, how long have you been in education? And, and what are you uh, up to career-wise? Right, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a teacher here in Texas right now. I'm, I'm actually what's called an academic interventionist, um, which is kind of a position they made up at the school I'm at using Title I funding. Uh, I, I'm there to support students that are failing and to support teachers uh, in, you know, that, that are trying to help those students. Uh, before that, I was a social studies teacher for, uh, four years, something like that. Maybe it's just three. Uh, I taught, you know, U S history and then social studies of the Eastern hemisphere. Cause that's, you know, not a broad enough topic. Um, so I've been in education for about five years now. Uh, so yeah, I'm here in Texas because it's cheaper to live in Texas than it is to live elsewhere. So my, my financial mind motivated me, move, motivated me to move down here. Uh, I was living in Colorado before that, which if you know anything about teaching in Colorado, they don't pay very much and it's really expensive to live there. So that's what kind of motivated us to move down to, uh, to Texas. And we're really enjoying living down here and enjoying the low cost of living and higher teacher salaries and all that. I like that. That's a little bit of that geo arbitrage where, you know, you're taking advantage of, you know, a higher salary with a lower cost of living. That's really smart. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I felt the same way about, uh, about it because everyone's talking about geo arbitrage like going to thailand and things like that it's like well i'm not going to take my family to thailand so how about we go to texas instead hmm. not bad not bad and, and you're at a title one school i yeah. actually taught, i actually taught at a title one school for a while um could you tell the listeners just a little bit about what a title one school is yeah so if you if you're not familiar with title one uh it's it's a government organization or a government funding program through another organization that um, just gives additional funding to schools that have a certain percentage of students that are uh, in the poverty range. Uh, I don't think it's below poverty line, but within a certain range of poverty. I think it's measured by uh, free and reduced lunch and how much of that um, is available at the school. 
Um, so yeah, our, our school is the only one in our area that, that meets that requirement. It just happened to be the way the boundaries uh, ran. Um, and because of that, the, the government offers funding and you have to apply for it every single year and make sure you qualify and all that. But they are offering funding that the school gets to use to support the students that are at risk of a failing or at risk of not you know meeting their highest potential. So because they have that funding, you can use that funding for a lot of different things. Uh, the school gets to decide what they use that funding for as long as it is properly documented and all that. And my school decided to hire uh, four interventionists. So we have a, an interventionist who is there to support teachers in the four core uh, subject areas of uh, math, reading, science, and social studies. And with my social studies background, I got hired on as a social studies uh, interventionist. So that's how they're using that government funding. But once again, you can use, I was at another Title I school before that, and they weren't doing that. They were using it uh, just to, to like buy um, uh, technology and things like that for uh, students who weren't able to, to, to get it for themselves. So we were able to, to use that funding to move more towards one-to-one. Uh, with our school. So there's a lot of different uses for that money. It just depends on what the school um, determines it needs it for. Yeah. The thing that kind of scares me about that title one funding, if I'm a teacher in a position like you, and I'm not trying to scare you is, as you said, it's just, you know, the way the boundaries were drawn up, it almost reminds me of gerrymandering, you know, Mm -hmm. talking about elections and whatnot, you know, what happens if they redraw the boundaries and then all of a sudden you're not a title one school. Like I would be really nervous about it. Am I going to have my teaching job back or am I going to have to, to move to different schools? How, how safe do you feel this position is with the title one funding with your position? Uh, at the moment it it's, it is uh, the position is definitely safe, uh, but they do tell you in the contract when you sign it, this is a one-year contract and we'll see about next year. Cause we're not sure about funding and how we're going to use funding. So it, when I signed it, I went in knowing that it wasn't going to be a, necessarily a permanent position. Um, but you know, with the way teacher shortages are, there's always another opportunity to get a, a teaching job, even if you lose this position position. Um, but honestly, this this uh, position has been so amazing because it's you know, a full teaching salary, but I am not responsible for my own classroom all the time. So I don't have to deal with grading. I don't have to deal with constant behavior management because I'm often doing things with small groups one-on-one or supporting a teacher in the classroom. And I'm able to arrive right when contract hours begin and leave right when contract hours end every single day. I, I don't have to stay afterwards for planning or anything like that because what I do during the day is just doing that support role. So it's been an amazing shift towards uh, more work-life balance while still being in education. Well, wow, Coach, that sounds a whole lot like master teacher and master student stuff. Uh, I don't know about that, but I, I do know this. Uh, with all that extra time on your hands, you have plenty of time to study personal finance and investing and uh, all things that have to do with money, I'm sure, uh, with that extra time. But uh, if, I, if I could, uh, just uh, kind of circling uh, back to your personal life uh, and maybe a little bit about your relationship with money. Um, I think I'll start with this. Let, let, if we could talk about what your relationship was like with money early on, you know, mm-hmm. as you were growing up, what was taught to you? What maybe wasn't taught to you? Did you learn by example? Um, at, at what point did it click that I really need to budget, save, invest, and do a good job with my finances? So I was, I'm very fortunate. Um, my, my parents... 
I, I was the youngest ch- child of, of seven. So there, there was no way that we were making it through with you know being strict on the budget and all that stuff and, and they, they did talk about it um I, I did uh boy scouts and my dad was the personal finance merit badge counselor so he he uh talked about those things he shared those things we didn't uh talk about it super in depth all the time but i did often hear things like you know pay off your credit cards don't go into debt you don't want student loans you want to you know make sure you can provide for your family and things like that so i i had the very strong foundation um, and then I'd say the only other thing that really influenced me early on was I was in high school during the, the great recession. So yes, I, I am pretty young here, but, uh, with that, there's, there's a feeling of scarcity that just comes with having that kind of, uh, fear surrounding you when you're in those formative years. So I've definitely had developed a, you know, a frugal, hold on to your money scarcity type mindset based on that experience and and my dad teaching me that we you know you don't get into debt you don't overspend and things like that growing up uh, but you know once you get your first big boy job and all that stuff it, it can be really easy to uh to forget those things so i wouldn't say that i was perfect i'm still not perfect i, I make a ton of financial mistakes all the time um, but i was kind of cruising like just assuming that i was doing good because i felt frugal Right. I thought like, oh, I don't overspend all the time. Right. I don't, you know, go out and eat to eat and have fancy dinners a bunch. And I don't spend money on this. I don't spend money on that. But um, when you have such a limited salary and you're the only person uh, bringing in income in your family, right? Because I'm married, I've got two boys, and I'm the only income earner, uh, it's very tight. And, and that is something that you have to take into consideration. Um, just how tight your finances are going to be. So you can't afford to just float along. It takes a lot of intentionality uh, when you are uh, in that situation. And I didn't have the intentionality for the first uh, two or three years of of really working. Um, And what really got me interested, because I feel like this is where we're going to go next, is what got me interested in moving into actually understanding personal finance uh, from those early lessons is the weirdest thing. I was uh, ordering windows for my house because I had aluminum windows and I didn't like them. So I had a window salesman come to my house and I was talking to him and I mentioned that I wanted to get into rentals maybe someday because my dad owned a rental property. And uh, he mentioned bigger pockets, which I'm sure a lot of uh, your listeners are uh, familiar with. Listening to Bigger Pockets, learning about real estate, got me into their Bigger Pockets Money Show, which opened my you know love of personal finance, and from there I've just started really uh, consuming personal finance content. So um, it's just taking that step towards intentionality that's that's really made a difference in my life, as opposed to just staying in the floating along. I feel like I might be frugal path. That, that's great, and and I want to take this uh, next segment into numbers. I don't think you have to be a genius with numbers. Uh, Coach Spees and I, even though we're friends on the show and we're friends outside of the show, just being completely transparent, we've never even hung out one-on-one, you know, for an extended period of time. You know, we've met Mm -hmm. throughout staff meetings within our county with planning and stuff. So, Coach, I don't even know if you might realize this or not, but I'm terrible at math. Um, When I was in high school, anytime you got up to the calculus or – you know, algebra two and stuff like that, man, thank God to be a millionaire. All you have to do is be good at middle school math 
I am not good with numbers at all when it comes to that stuff, but I want to talk about numbers in this next segment. Okay. So let's start with uh, the first question and coach, if you have anything, anything to do with numbers that pops up, feel free to ask. I'm going to ask you, how old are you? I'm 27. I'm about so to be 28. 27, about to be 28 years old. Uh, we are on a financial podcast. I know it's kind of in, intrusive, but I want to ask you, how much money do you make teaching in Lubbock, Texas? Uh, my base salary is around $43,000 a year. Um, you know, the real take-home pay from that is is obviously considerably less, but that's the, the base. Okay. And uh, the next question I have with numbers is, if I were to give you uh, $2,500 right now and you could put it into an emergency fund or you could put it into a 457 or a Roth IRA or a 403B, what would you do with uh, the $2,500 that I just gave you? What would your order of operations look like? Well, um, since it's today and not any other day, it would be paying off the fact that my truck just broke down and it's really expensive to fix. Because, man, that hurts. Um, but I'd say that my first thing uh, is is an emergency fund. I, I've I've learned that the hard way that you need to start with an emergency fund. So if you don't have an emergency fund, you you need to build it right. And um, it's really easy to draw down the emergency fund and then not build it back up. So uh, you know, just I, I'd say that just the, with everything going on. A hiking interest rates, all the uncertainty, emergency fund would probably be the first place that I would put that. Uh, once I've gotten a, a you know substantial emergency fund, I, I I definitely would be shooting for the three to six month range, probably more towards the six month range now with all of the the uh, uncertainty. Right, three months was where I was more comfortable before. You know, six months is where I would probably be aiming for now, just because of how uh, how crazy the world is. You want to make sure that you're certain, especially with you know like you're talking about. The uncertainty of my job it can go away at any time it's important to have that um then beyond that uh i'd say that either i would invest in the 457 so for anyone that might not know the difference between a 457 and a 403b the 457 457b i guess is um something that if you invest in it it is your money to keep after you are no longer working for that employer and you don't get penalized for it. While a 403B, you have to wait until you're 59 and a half to draw out that money. And I, I feel like as someone who uh, is in the personal finance space who may want to retire early, the 457B is a much better option for that. On top of that, the 457B tends to be more regulated, more uh, likely to have better options for investing in um, than the 403B. And if you want more information on that, I know you guys just had Dan Otter on not that long ago and his discussion of learned by being burned. Fantastic podcast explains all of that very, very well. Um, but my other option, honestly, is investing in real estate. Uh, as a teacher, the amount of money that I bring in every single month is, you know, it's, it's very little. It's not enough to, you know, sock away a bunch of money every single month to start investing in an account to then grow. Because if I want to make a million dollars at an 8% return in the stock market, I need to invest about $1,000 a month over a 30-year career. Right now, with how much money I'm making on a, I'm, you know, I'm the only one bringing in my income, that's very, very difficult. But if I can take that same $1,000 and just save it up to buy 
a rental property. That's a $100,000 rental property at 20% down, right? If I can buy that up and that rental property brings in $200 a month, right? And then I just reinvest that $200 a month and keep investing $1,000 a month, right? I will be able to do the same amount of money in cash flow every single month that I'd get from a million dollars from those rental properties in 13 years. So the power of the leverage that you get from real estate in my opinion, makes investing in real estate a much better option. So I'd say emergency fund is first and then looking for an opportunity to invest in real estate is actually my, my, my second step. So you actually, um, and, we, and we've had other guests on the show that have been like this, uh, that who have thought this way, you actually feel it's safer to, to uh, invest in real estate. And you're right up Dave's alley there. Dave knows a lot about this. And matter of fact, uh, Dave Airbnb's properties and actually makes a lot, I think Dave, a lot more money Airbnb in it than you do with long-term tenants. Isn't that correct? Yeah. When we had long-term tenants, as an example, I was just looking at my numbers today. We had uh, what we call the tiny house. Uh, the nickname mm-hmm. of it's actually called City Cottage. Uh, we had purchased the property for $78,000. Um, we did some fixing up. We spent about $12,000 to, to update it. And it was somewhat updated when we bought it. So that got us up to about 90,000. Uh, and then I think we spent somewhere around 15,000 or so on getting it ready for Airbnb. Um, but when we did the long-term rental, we were getting $950 a month. Uh, and now that we're doing the short-term rental and we've got about 115,000 in it um, already for June, it's only it's only uh, April right now as we record, June, we're, we're on uh, track to make $3,100 on that short-term rental. So we're, we're generally making anywhere between two or three times the amount that we were making. And that's the really cool thing. Uh, last year, Coach, and again, I'm a huge believer in real estate. My wife's a real estate agent. I've seen it work. Uh, it's very scary when you jump in at first, but I love the Bigger Pockets podcast as well. If you've never listened mm-hmm. to that and you're interested in real estate, Brandon, I think you need to listen to Bigger Pocket, uh, Bigger Pockets, the real estate edition. I think you'd love it. But we have like $115,000 in that property. And last year in seven months, we made $24,000. You know, imagine the 4% rule coach on a million dollars. You know, if I had a million dollars invested in the stock market and I follow the 4% rule, which means I withdraw 4% of my million, that's $40,000 a year. Heck, we're, we have two Airbnbs rolling now, a uh, third one getting ready to roll. And those two Airbnbs are going to easily produce $40,000 this year. And I only spent about $250,000 to get the $40,000 a year in income. So I spent a fourth of the money and I'm still making the cash flow of what I would make off the 4% rule. Now, again, if you had a million dollars in investments, that doesn't necessarily mean that you put in a million dollars. I'm sure over the course of a 30 year period, you know, a big majority of that is going to be compound interest. But if you want financial freedom earlier and you want cash flow now and you want to have options in life, financially before 59 and a half, I think real estate is a great way to go, coach. Amen to that. Yeah, I, I built a tiny house on my land here in Texas. And you know, Lubbock, Texas is not the getaway destination for anything at all. But I I, I bought a shell of like a, like a storage building shell that I've customized. And then I built out the interior, adding plumbing and electrical and all that stuff. It, I, all in, I'm about $21,000, $22,000 in. And we're bringing in around $900 a month on average. Um, so, I mean, it's it's not amazing, 
uh, compared to what you were talking about. But like, I'm in the middle of nowhere outside of town on a place that no one really cares to go to. And we're consistently filling up, you know, 20, 25, uh, 20, 25 month, uh, 20 or 25 days in a month. There we go. Um, what, what platform are you on, Sean? Airbnb. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's powerful. The short-term rental thing is super powerful. Um, so if anyone is looking for a way to replace their income, uh, teaching, or just to increase their income teaching real estate is uh, a powerful way to grow your income fast because you have the power of leverage, you have the power of cash flow, and I could go on and on, but there's so many things that you get from that that you can do with much less money into it than you can over the long term investing in in stocks. Although, if you want the easy route, stocks are definitely easier. It is definitely easier. I mean, you know, you can, uh, as long as you trust the historic returns of the market, which which I really do. You know, I really do. I, I, I trust that over time it always grows. You know, I can, you know, put 500 in a month or try to get 500 a month and, you know, into a Roth IRA and, and you know, just kind of set it and forget about it, you know, put it into a good, you know, low, low cost index fund, index fund and, and just, you know, let it, let it compound. But, uh, but there are disadvantages of that too that real estate picks up. And I think, you know, Dave probably has a really good mixture of the two. Uh, doing some real estate and also doing the investing. So, you know, trying to trying to mix up that portfolio a little bit is is uh, and get the best of both worlds is a is a good idea. So, but but with everything that you're doing, you, you strike me as a kind of guy that really plans ahead. And so, yeah. what what are you looking at in terms of being able to retire from teaching? Are you going to wait and get your pension, or uh, you know, is the plan to get out sooner than that? Um. So. I'm not going to wait for my pension, mostly because I don't believe that the pension is really something I should depend on. Most pensions are severely underfunded. And, you know, with how late I've gotten into teaching compared to, you know, a teacher that's been in 10, 20, 30 years, the pension is is much uh, less than it even was, you know, five, 10 years ago, because uh, they're slowly dialing it back. Um, and I really don't think that it's going to make a, a large difference in my portfolio. If I'm, you know, someone who's starting out early, trying to make, uh, make my finances grow, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars a month, even $2,000 a month from a pension for a 30 year career in teaching is not going to be as big of a deal in my portfolio compared to, you know, growing in real estate or growing, uh, even stocks. Uh, that being said, um, I am looking for uh, options to to stay in education. Um, so we did talk about my job being uh, unstable, and I'm not actually going to be at my job next year. Um, so I'm trying to stay, you know, still be in education. But we're, we're seeing where we're we're going we're to go because I've been informed that my job is not going to be there for me next year because of probationary cra- uh, contract things. Um, and all that legal jargon, whatever. So my position is going to be there, but I'm the low man on the totem pole. So I don't, I don't have tenure, so I'm not going to have that job. So I'm looking at different options right now for, for next year. Um, but like I said, I'd like to stay educating because I do believe in education. Um, even if it's just focusing more in on educating teachers on their personal finances, because that's really what I'm passionate about. It's just seeing teachers every single day that are struggling to make it through 
that are struggling with their money, you know, just being able to focus on helping them, I think could also be really powerful. So we'll see where, where life takes me over the next, you know, few months as I go through the summer. I think there's definitely silver linings with the pandemic. Um, it's a really, it's been a really tough time to be a teacher in America. I think the last two or three years, especially for our older teachers, having to learn mm-hmm. the technology with, you know, Microsoft Teams or Zoom and and things like that, and having to have you know some kids in person, some kids are online. It was very difficult. You know, talk about being on a fast track to technology. You didn't have an option to even have time to learn this stuff. But one of the the cool silver linings about COVID is. I know lots of teachers that are now just strictly teaching online. Um, I saw that the city of Baltimore was hiring history and math teachers last year, paying $85,000 a year. And you were teaching from home for the city of Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, you never even had to go to Baltimore or do anything. So there are lots wow. of options. And as you mentioned earlier, Sean, as you mentioned earlier, uh, with the teacher shortage, you know, as long as you're a good person and you're making good choices at school, um, you can almost find a job in any state, anywhere, because, you know, teachers are just hard to come by right now. So, you know, I hope that everything works out for you on that. And that kind of segues into really something that you just addressed. What are you hearing about personal finance among the teachers uh, in the schools that you've worked in in your young career? Are teachers generally negative about money? Do you feel like you know, they've been given a decent financial education or you feel like teachers are struggling in this area? I think teachers are very much so struggling. Um, and it's just, it's part of like our everyday way of talking, right? We talk, we talk all the time about having a growth mindset with our students, but teachers have a very much so fixed mindset with their money, right? Uh, there's always things like people saying, Oh, I'm too poor for that. They don't pay me enough for like, we're just constantly talking about how little we're getting paid. We're constantly complaining about how little we're getting paid. And unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about that, right? We can't make everyone vote to, you know, double our salary. We can't control taxes, right? But what we can do is we can control our own personal financial destiny with changing our mindset, changing how we control our money and changing the ways that we are going to make money, right? So like Dave, you're talking about how you are buying real estate and getting income from your uh, short-term rentals. That is a fantastic way for a teacher to increase their income, right? There are different things that teachers can do to increase their income and stay teaching. If teaching is your calling, then by all means, remain a teacher but take control of your own finances. So yeah, what I see is just a lot of teachers who have a very defeated feeling uh, about their money. They're, uh, they're, they're stuck saying like, I just have to you know, make it another 10 years. I have to make another six years. My pension will be available in another you know, two years. So I'm, I'm still here. And that's just so sad to me that that is what we have teachers being reduced to. Like, Teachers who I'm sure are wonderful teachers or were wonderful teachers who are now burnt out and checked out, but are sticking around for a pension is not doing anybody any services. And you can see it as teachers are experiencing this, the the drag of having their finances uh, just weigh them down. And then on top of that, the other thing that I'm seeing is teachers with financial uh, debt from going to school. Uh, I'm so glad to hear about your guys' uh, webinar to help teachers who are in uh, student loan debt because, man, we need it. Right? This statistic frightened me. In a six-month period from 
the end of 2020 to 2021, 98% of all public servant loan forgiveness applications were rejected, right? 98%. That's terrible, right? We go to, to, to school to become a teacher and we are given this promise that, yeah, you'll have to get student loans to get this professional degree, but then you'll be able to get student loan forgiveness. And then they reject 98% of the applications. Like, how is that even something that anyone can, can handle, can stomach as someone who's working for this organization, right? That, that's insane. So we have teachers who are coming into teaching and they are just being dragged down by student loan debt. And then they're told, oh, you can make more money if you get a master's degree. So they get more student loan debt to try and make just incrementally more money. And we're just being dragged down by student loan debt, by low salaries, by not being able to handle our own finances because we haven't learned how to handle our own finances because no one's ever taught us. You don't learn it in school, as they always say. So it's just a compounding effect that has a lot of teachers feeling behind and to add insult to injury, the 403B is the worst investment vehicle ever invented. So it's just, there's so many things fighting against teachers that education can fix, which is ironic that educators need education to fix their finances, but what you don't know, you don't know, right? So that's the thing that I've seen that there's just that lack of, of education of what you're supposed to be doing, what the right thing to do is the right choices to make. Um, and with that, I, I feel like a lot of teachers could become much more empowered and could really, really do well uh, because there's so many advantages in teaching. There are so many things that you can use to your advantage as a teacher, but they just don't know what those are. Man, Brandon, that sounds a, a heck of a lot like all the reasons why we started this podcast. It's all the reasons why, you know, and there, there's three things there I could I could touch on from his answer. The first one is, is. I am very concerned about the professionalism and the education amongst educators. I think that we are, you know, you and I talked about this. We we have become incapable of marshalling the appropriate response to the disrespect we feel. And many teachers are getting burned out and checking out. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing that I would, I would say uh, about, about Sean's answer there was, um, you know, we're not victims. We know how to read. We know how to, you know, a formal education should teach you how to be a lifelong learner. And so, you know, I really didn't get into this till January 2020, and it came by way of a book. And I'm not a victim. I, I could have picked up a book much sooner than I did. I just didn't. And so I think that the work that we're all trying to do here is just to wake teachers up and say, look, you have the ability to learn this stuff and figure it out, but you have to do it though. And you can't just be defeated. I think one of the reasons why I didn't get into it earlier was because I thought, well, you can't, you can't get blood from a rock. My paycheck is what it is. And I didn't take into account that I, I thought that I knew more than I did. And so people have to kind of wake up to the idea that, you know, other people are doing it. You know, educators are, third on the list when it comes to net worth millionaires uh, from, mm-hmm. from that one study. And, and so a lot of teachers are doing well, figure out how you can do well. Um, and then, you know, the, there was a third thing there. I think I'm going to forget what, what the third thing was, but, uh, but anyway, that a lot, lot of stuff that Sean just said there was, uh, was, was really good. And, um, we're going to have to, there, there's, there's almost a missionary zeal from 
people like me and you and it sounds like Sean to to get out there and, and help teachers turn things around. So Amen. Yeah, that takes us to Sean's event. Uh, Sean's got a big event. Obviously, you've noticed that teachers need help, Sean, and you're a teacher. Uh, tell us about the major endeavor that you have coming up. Uh, I looked at the website. I looked at the speakers. looks very professionally done. Tell us why you got the idea or how you got the idea and, and what it's uh, all about. So I've been trying to put together for, for a while now, ever since the pandemic started, because when, I, when the pandemic hit, I just felt like I needed to be doing something more. Um, so I started a, a website. And I was just trying to, you know, blog, get information out there. And I just never felt like I was getting anywhere. Um, so I, then I started, you know, making videos or doing this or that, just trying to get information out there. And I could never figure out how to really help as many educators as possible until I, I happened to just stumble upon uh, a summit. And, uh, you know, we've all heard summits, conferences, symposiums, whatever you want to call them. Um, but it's, I, I came upon this and there was an advertisement in the summit for a, 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 an organization that helps people put on summits. So I reached out to them and I decided you know, I wanted to reach as many teachers as I possibly could. So I was going to put on uh, a summit to help educators um, with their finances. So it's called the Rich Educators Summit. Uh, you can find out all the information you need at richeducators.com. Um, but I'm, I'm going to have a, uh, a link that uh, they'll have for the, 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 fit uh, educators here uh so that way you can go through there uh you guys have show notes right yeah we'll put it in the show yeah. notes so we'll, we'll have a link for you guys to, to access that but rich educators uh the summit and it's the there's going to be a lot of different summits I, I want to cover all of the different pain points all of the different things that teachers need uh help on but the first and most important thing that i saw was uh debt teachers are in debt teachers are struggling to pay off their student loan debt. They're struggling to understand the, the public servant loan forgiveness. This forbearance issue is not helping anything. So I, I really felt like teachers needed to know those things. They also need to know how to increase their income to pay off debt, right? The more money you have to throw out debt, the faster you get out of debt, the sooner you can really start to grow your wealth. So this first uh, summit that we're having is you know, called the Rich Educator Summit, Defeating Debt on Educator Salary. We go everything, everywhere from controlling your money to increasing your money to strategies you need to uh, pay off your debt. And those are the things that we're covering uh, and we're trying to just help as many educators as possibly can uh, with some great speakers. Uh, man, the, the speakers that I was able to, to line up, I'm, I'm just blown away at, at how professional they are uh, and how uh, knowledgeable they are. We've got um, some great money coaches who are going to talk about everything from mindfulness with your money from uh, 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 Liz Carroll is her name. She is the owner of the mindful money method. It's, it's a trademark. So she's got a whole brand behind that. And she's coming in to, you know, talk freely about, about the, her, uh, her mindful money methods. Uh, I've got uh, Nicole Stork Hestad, who is a fantastic financial coach. And I love her topic. Her topic is stop budgeting forever. And, you know, we, we all know that budgets are like the curse word almost because it's almost like a diet. No one wants to do it. Okay. And you usually fail. So there's, there's ways to actually control your money without doing these restrictive budgets that everyone thinks you have to do. And she's going to talk about that. Um, and then I've got, you know, some other great educators who are like, actual classroom teachers who are also doing this. Uh, Rich Smith from Teaching Millionaires is going to talk about, you know, side hustles because he's got like 10 of them. 
and he's going to talk about, you know, ways teachers can increase their income to, uh, you know, pay off their debt faster, just doing things that he's doing while you've got our teacher, buddy, right? Jerry Bourne on the show, I think too, or yes, the, the, the millionaire educator, Jerry Bourne, right? His name is the millionaire educator, right? It's gotta absolutely. be good. Okay. It, absolutely. So, there's, there's, and I just keep talking, but there, there's just so, so many people on there that have so many things that they're just willing to share and it's free, right? So there, there are, you know, upgrade pay options, whatever, but the actual event, you can get all the information. We're not, you know, going to sit there and just pitch you for 20 minutes. Okay. Each segment is going to actually teach you something that you can do right now. And there's going to be worksheets that you can take and you can do it right now. And you can actually get things done. You can actually start taking action based on what you learn there. And if you decide you want to you know, get the upgrade, great. That's just going to support our speakers. It's going to make it so we can keep doing these things in the future. But if not, we want as many educators as possible to come to learn this information, to just be able to become debt-free as fast as possible. So that way you stay in education, right? One of the biggest things that are causing people to leave is because they, they're not able to sustain it, right? And I feel like one of the biggest things that's going to help educators stay in education is to be able to financially sustain themselves. So that's what I, I really want. So please come and please tell everyone you know. Sean, that is awesome, man. And you actually reminded me of the third thing that I had taken from a minute ago. And that was uh, that once a teacher with a fixed income you know, we have fixed incomes, you know, and, and they, you know, they rise a little bit, you know, every, every so many years or every year, depending on the state you're in. But once you get yourself into debt, it's really hard to get out. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, you can, I find that you can do pretty well as long as you're on top of it from the beginning. But if you ever mess up, if you ever slip and you ever end up in debt, and I, I think a lot of teachers are really in that situation. They kind of messed up. And now what do they do? You know, we're, we're behind now. And, you know, once you get behind it, you just, you, you, it seems like you stay behind. And so it sounds like this, that you have a, this symposium uh, or this um, summit, among many other things, if they are struggling with debt, they could go on and they could find some real practical ways to deal with their debt themselves back and to a, uh, into a, a healthy financial standing. So I, I love the idea, man. It sounds like it's going to be awesome. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I think that's the number one thing is just helping people get back to, to zero because if you can't get back to zero, you can't get anywhere, right? So start there. And then once we've got that figured out, we can move on to the next steps. Yeah, when, when is it and how can our listeners sign up again? All right, so it is. It's runs from May 12th to May 14th, which I realize is a very busy, busy time for, for educators. And I apologize about that. I just was so excited I had to get it done as soon as I possibly could. Um, but if the 12th is a Thursday, so just throwing this out there, the 12th is a Thursday. However, from the time that the, uh, presentations that are going to happen on Thursday go live, there will be 48 hours, uh, for you to watch them. So if you can't get to it on Thursday and the soonest you can get to it is on Saturday, then, you know, it'll still be available then. So once again, I want it to be as available as possible for as many people to, to access as they possibly can. Um, and the, the best way to, to, to access it is through your, your link in the show notes um, and just get in there, richeducators.com. That's what it's all about right now. It's the summit. So 
to do that, there's a registration page. It goes through all the, the speakers, all the benefits, all the things you're going to learn. But right at the top, you can just click register. It's free. You just type in your email. So that way I can send you the links to the, uh, uh, to the presentations and you're good to go. Well, Sean, we, we have an army of educators that are trying to, to help fellow teachers around the country and the world. And I'm glad to see that we have a friend in you that, you know, you're, you're doing a great job. Dan Otter last, the last two weeks, man, what a great job he does at 403 B wise and literally hundreds, thousands of teachers lives are being changed by people coming on podcasts, by people like you that are putting on this free summit for teachers. And I can't wait to see how we transform education by having new teachers, old teachers get debt free and have no worries when it comes to their finances. And they can truly be in the classroom, not because of the pension, but because they want to be in the classroom. I'm excited for that too. Sean, when I was 28 years old on a Wednesday night, I would have been probably in favor. I would have been in favor of North Carolina. I would have been at Mikasito running up my credit card. Uh, I, I, went, I went to Mikasito pretty much uh, every uh, Wednesday night. I had some places I went almost every night of the week running up my credit card. I uh, was not mindful of my finances. I was making mistakes that was going to take me. I made, I made all these mistakes in my 20s. It took me my 30s to get out of it. And watching you at 28, not only taking care of your own finances, but also putting on something like this to try to help out other teachers. You're way ahead of where I was at that age. And I just, I just, you know, thank you for doing that. And thank you for the time and effort that it takes. And um, like Dave said, we have, a, I think we have an army of people now trying to reach out and trying to help because teachers are going to do better. Um, they're going to be better teachers, better educators when they don't have to worry about their finances. So it's a great mission that we're on. Brother. Yes. Thank you. Well, Sean, thank you again for coming on and sharing your story and, and good luck with the tiny house. I can't wait to hear uh, about your new tiny house community, maybe that you'll have going in the future. You can maybe get seven or eight of those things rolling uh, and truly have financial freedom. So oh, keep us you. posted on that. And thank you to the listeners out there for joining us on this week's version of the Fit Educator Podcast. We hope you join us for next week's episode. And remember that someone is sitting in the shade today because they planted a tree a long time ago. Take care, everybody.